Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Welcome back to winter. <laughs> I was going to say, we're in the doldrums of winter. Yeah, it puts stable in the the snow blower i'd put you know one all but one shovel away i'm glad i kept one out yeah well good brewing time of year i mean oh, yeah football season's over your sundays have opened up yeah I, l- I chilled a six gallon batch which was a single immersion wort chiller in under 15 minutes to 65 degrees wow the other day so if you're, if you're trying to get a brew in i mean that saves you some big time when you can do immersion wort chiller you're done chilling in 15 to 20 minutes. That saves you. I had to wait around to aerate. Like I had my aerator in at about 80 degrees. I had to wait around to give it enough time um, before I actually moved the beer over. So if you're trying to make a beer, it's, it's great. You know, if you're inside, uh, if you listen to our show on brewing inside and brewing with electric and you're nice and toasty inside your house, it's great. If you're in your garage and you're trying to clean up everything afterwards and it's 15 degrees and every time you clean something, it starts to freeze. It can be a real SOB mm-hmm. to brew. But if you're lucky enough to have some type of space where you're out of the cold, you know, it's a perfect winter hobby. Yeah. Well, we've got some stuff coming up. Let's uh, let's do the housekeeping first. The Amber Waves of Grain competition. The deadline is March 31st. Competition April 13th and 14th. So we're at about uh, seven weeks out, 50 days left. Yeah, and, and I have to make a correction. I've been giving you the wrong countdown in days. Somewhere along the line there, I subtracted a week. I don't know where I did it, but I was giving you the wrong number of days. So 50 days, so that's more styles open if you've only been going by the show and you weren't looking at the calendar. So you have more styles that you can brew um, still with 50 days to remain. And Kentucky Common could easily be one of them that could be saved till the last week, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But every brew that I do right now and over the next you know 50 days, I will be thinking about the competition when I go to brew day. So when I made uh, an American IPA the other day, I changed my hopping to a little bit more traditional. I backed off a little bit on the, uh, the malt bill to give it a little bit lower ABV and tried to make it a little bit more to style than my normal house recipe in order to enter it into competition. And so any brewer that you're coming in, you're trying to take advantage of these last like really cold weeks and the last time you can get that really cold tap water. Every beer, think about competition. Save a couple of bottles. Just do a six-pack on the side if you keg. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. And put them in there. Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. Enter a competition. Find out about your beers. Learn about your beers. Learn how to be scored by BJCP guidelines. Maybe you've never done that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Take a look. If you're going to brew a beer for competition, take a look at the guidelines. Take a look at what the, the classic beers are and give them a try. Yeah. Uh, the annual 12th annual Art of Beer is on the way. That's coming up March 9th. Uh, Western New York's original beer tasting event. It is beer and food, which is uh, something we always like. Yes. You know, if we're going to throw like over, you know, 75 beers at you, we should also throw equally number of menu items at you too. And we try to at this event. Um, So if you're coming, come hungry. um, And yeah, live music, lots of all you can eat food and beer. And yeah, enjoy. Might want to ride home. Yeah. Uber, Lyft. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. Lyft, use the promo code WGR550. You save $5.50 off your first four rides. Just putting that out there if you know you want to be safe. All right, so the annual, the 12th annual Art of Beer, that's on the way. 
And uh, today we're talking Kentucky Common. Yeah. Which is, um, I've brewed, I think I brewed a California Common. Yep. What's the difference between a California Common and a Kentucky Common? Well, it's interesting you talk about that because when we usually point to a style, we'll point to one original beer. So in in the case of uh, California Common, we look at Anchor Steam Brewing Company, which has been around since pre-prohibition and has been brewing the same recipe. So if you, you look at like Irish Stout, you think of Guinness, American Pale Ale, and we're talking about these classic examples for competition. You're looking at Sarah in Nevada. Uh, if you're looking at a Framboise, you're looking at Lindemann's. And if you're looking at like a Cream Ale, you're looking at Jenny Cream Ale. Um, that's not really the case with the Kentucky Common. Um, there's no one brewery we can point to, and there's nothing that really remains around. I, I think with Jenny Cream Ale, Sarah Nevada, um, and Anchor Steam Beer, we're very lucky to still have like the original beers um, that created the styles in in their original form. We can still try them, and, and we're drinking pretty much the same beer that somebody was, you know, 75 years ago, 100 years ago. So that makes that's kind of a nice little tie-in. With the Kentucky Common, there's a big kind of, we'll say, gap in it, its history. Um, so they're very similar in far as taste, maybe a little bit darker, a little less hoppy on the uh, Kentucky Common, but they, they have a very uh, a strong common flavor point, and it really kind of revolves around the yeast. Um, but let's kind of get first, as we do, with the kind of history of the beer. Um, and there's a common story here. So we, we've talked about, you know, different beer styles, kind of, uh, you know, the American Light, uh, Jenny Cream Ale and stuff like that, how they kind of were shaped by uh, immigrants. And this is the same kind of story. American brewers kind of post-Civil War were had a market of a lot of immigrants that kept moving westward, um, finding that the local water, while really perfect for making whiskey, because it was very, very hard, was not the greatest for making beer. And they had absolutely no means, as often was true of the, you know, especially Southern American Midwest, and there was no ability to chill the beer, or at least not year-round, and no availability of ice. Um, And so a similar kind of, you know, uh, story leading up to the beer as you have with the uh, California Common as well, in similar times, a little bit earlier on the Kentucky Common, but, you know, justifiably, Louisville is a little bit uh, eastern than, you know, San Diego and California. Mm-hmm. So a um, little bit different backstory, but kind of in the same trend. So very often the brewers would do not what they necessarily wanted to do, not making the recipes from Eastern Europe that they knew, but they would try to get as close as they could or try to fit the same feel and find something that would work with the local ingredients. And, and that's what they did here. So it's similar story to the uh, California Common, mm-hmm. uh, similar flavor profile, similar yeast, but a little bit different backstory and much different recipe. Um, leading into it. Okay. So let's start off with the kind of the local ingredients. And so often if you're making, you know, bourbon, you're starting with thick row barley and corn. And for brewers, they started with the very same. And, and this malt bill would produce a very corn, like cream corn aroma, very sweet aroma, um, and very kind of sweet flavor. And, and if you just stop there, you could produce a bourbon with that. 
but the water in Kentucky, as we talked about, is extremely hard. So while it's perfect for making whiskey, and while these, you know, you know, gypsum and especially calcium carbonate lend uh, a little bit of help in bringing out the malt bill and bringing out the hot bill, they really kind of hurt your mash. So as any all-grain brewer has uh, that's been brewing for a little bit, if you start looking at your efficiency, uh, and so how much grain it takes to get how much gravity, um, and you're always trying to get that number higher because it makes the beer a lot cheaper. If you're getting, you know, 75% efficiency um, to get a, uh, you know, 6% beer, you might only be using, uh, you know, 10 to 12 pounds. Um, And if you're getting like 60% efficiency, 55, you know, you're using 15 pounds. And that cost is going to make the beer almost 30% more expensive in the long run. So the brewers had to do something about it. And what they did is often you saw in you know, Ireland and other regions, they added dark malts, um, not usually roasted barley, but dark crystals and really deep toasted malts um, to help correct their mash pH. Um, just like a distiller in Kentucky would do a sour mash, where they took a portion out of the last mash, they let it get uh, filled with uh, especially lactobacillus, but also um, acetobacter, and the acids that they produce slowly lower the pH. And when you lower the pH, the enzymes work a little bit better, and you get more efficiency in the conversion of the mash. So just like the distillers were doing sour mash, um, the brewers were adding dark malts to kind of also correct the mash pH. Um, and so interesting story here. Distillers having kind of same problems as brewers, finding the same kind of, you know, uh, answer here on both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously in California, they didn't quite have those problems um, with the water, the beer that they were doing, could, you know, or the malts that they were using benefited well from a protein rest. So it wasn't as big an issue there. So you didn't end up with the dark malts that kind of correct the mass pH. So similar backstories. Yeah. Different product in the long run. So when it comes down to the hopping too, they were still using local hops. So we talked about with a lot of these other light beers, they kind of just foregoed using any finishing hops because they weren't available or at least not in the amount that they needed to give it a good flavor. Mm-hmm. So, what When you say uh, like native hops to Kentucky would be? When they were, actually weren't native to Kentucky. They were native to? New York. Oh. Cluster with the most popular variety. Um, it had a pretty good alpha acid. It was a little bit spicy tiny bit of citrus in there. That's a little bit up for debate. Um, But it grew readily available. Um, It wasn't the most popular hop for these brewers. They'd much rather have saws. And if brewers could get their hands on like saws or halleratau, they would use those in very reserved amounts of the finish of the beer. But especially for the bittering, they were using small amounts of American cluster because it was available. Um, And it's still a hop that's perfectly available today. and pretty much still true to its original flavor and variety. Cluster hops. It's not. It's not one that you hear a lot. You don't hear that term a lot. Are they still around? Are they? They're still. Yeah. No. They're still around. They're still being. We have them in stock right now. You do see them used in a lot of kind of quote unquote classic styles or like pre-prohibition styles. So you also see them used in like a Cascadian dark ale or black IPA. Um, that's. Yeah, no, they're still around. They're still available. Uh, we usually sell them 
in the spring. So if we want to tie in before we get to the break, if we want to tie in hop rhizomes right now, yeah. well, cluster is usually one of the hops that's always available every year. Uh, it's a very good bittering hop. Uh, can be used dual purpose. You can certainly smash with it. It doesn't have the big pungent uh, citrusy notes of American Cascade, which didn't come much later until the 1970s and, and really into production until the mid early 80s. Um, the cluster was readily available, locally grown, and kind of had a you know a different flavor to it. So it wasn't preferred always in the finish, not because it was a bad hop, but because it was not uh, available. Or, or I'm sorry, it, it, other hops were not available, and you're looking for those more familiar flavors. But again, tying into hop rhizomes, we are got our first kind of letters of the first ones available. So we're going to be punching those up on the website again. Um, if you want to get hop rhizomes, we always suggest getting them in the ground early. Getting them in the ground early is better for the first couple of years in growing location or soil quality. So if you don't have the time to kind of plant around in your garden to make the room for the hops, just get them in there, get them started. You can easily move them in another year. Um, and they will save you a lot of money. They're mm-hmm. wonderful ornamental. You get a wonderful harvest, and it's something like growing um, like mint or other spices. You get more than you'll ever know what to do with, unless you're growing Columbus and making all big IPAs. In right. that case, you know what to do with it all. But save you a lot of money, good ornamental, easy growing, you know, perennial. The cluster. Yeah, cluster, but hops in general. Yeah. All right. When we get back, we'll get into the Kentucky Common, uh, the process, and, uh, you know, what is uh, specific to know about it. Kentucky Common Ales, maybe something that you uh, haven't dabbled in before. Uh, Jeremy White, Bert Deister here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. We're making a Cal... Uh, not a California. I almost mixed them up. A Kentucky Common. Uh, and we went over some of the history of the Kentucky Common, what separates it from the California Common. Uh, basically, I think the nuts and bolts of it is that the Common is a beer of circumstance. Is it, not quite. Is it the Common, well, you could say that. You know, the only two beers we often call to that. But they, they also have their common similarity in the yeast. Okay. It goes back to that no available ice or refrigeration. Um, that, that, that's all I meant by circumstance. Was oh, that, yeah. yeah. That's like, the main circumstance. Yeah. If it comes up over and over again, and why can we get beers from all over the country and all over the world? Um, refrigeration. Yeah. That's yeah. the big thing is refrigeration allowed beer to be brewed and transported, um, especially where these uh, immigrants were coming from in Eastern Europe. It was very easy to most ferment the beer cool and then cold age it and cold condition it. So it would last a long time. The yeast would be allowed to slowly work at it, give it a little bit drier finish, um, and it would be a little bit cleaner because of it. And if you wanted to get those beers in a place 
you know, like pre-prohibition Kentucky, I couldn't even imagine what it would have cost. And you think about the travel that it would have had to come. So it probably wouldn't have been that great when it got to you. It could be skunky. It could be foul. There was no refrigerated cars at this time. So it was coming room temperature if you were lucky and it wasn't going to uh, really taste like it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could do that. You could pay a lot more for a imported beer if you could find it, um, if there was even an option for it. Or you could drink the local beer that was going to be a lot cheaper, but also have a lot more reliable flavor. Um, and what they did to try to make a beer that was a little bit cleaner and a little bit drier is they used yeast similar to the California common that were, you know, German style yeast that fermented a bit warmer um, and a lot faster um, and didn't require the long cold aging times to kind of refine themselves like you do with, you know, Czech Pilsners or Bavarian Pilsners. And so that yeast is a big common tie here. Um, so we all, obviously, if you were trying to brew one of these, you could go right to Y yeast, like 2112, and that would be the Anchor Steam yeast and probably an excellent choice. Um, part of the having no refrigeration available or no cold storage um, is that this beer was traditionally made from cast to from uh, mash was only one week. So you'd be mashing in, <clears throat> you would be pitching, you'd be fermenting for six to seven days and then putting it right into a cask and cask conditioning it. And they would actually usually croisen, which is actually a German technique, where they would take the beer right towards the end of the fermentation. Really, we're talking about the like the last... Uh, final like 8% of the fermentation and they would throw it into the cast and they would trap that CO2 trap all those flavors, trap that fermentation and it would give the beer a lot more flavor Um, and it would be probably conditioning on its way to wherever it was going to be served. Um, I think this is a common story that you find with a lot of competition entries is that they're being bottled and really they're hoping that they're conditioning on the way to the competition. One of the reasons why I said if you have one, if you're listening to the show and it's one week before competition deadline and you're looking for another beer that you could brew besides, say, English bitter um, and wheat beer and Saison, uh, this would be added to the list. Kentucky mm-hmm. Common, if it's the weekend before the entry deadline, you got a shot. You got a shot at getting one of these ready and entering into competition. I'm not saying it's going to do well, but you'd be true to the original process that was perfected over you know decades. But if you got one weekend, you might as well give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But that was a really interesting part. No cold storage. They kind of were brewing German beer, but they were serving it almost more like an English tradition. One week fermentation right into a cask you know, quickly conditioned and then served while it was still fairly young before it had any chance to kind of acquire any phenols, acquire any kind of, uh, you know, off flavors from being stored warm. So they were brewing almost German-style beer. And it was heavy in six-row and corn, and they were serving it more in an English tradition of hurry up, get into that cask, get it matured, get it off to where it's going to be sold. Um, so that it's fresh, it doesn't have any chance of, you know, going uh, off. Now, <clears throat> we can talk about how to make one. I was going to say and, that again. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the actual beer, and, and that, that's great. Like, I, yeah. I think that, you know, knowing how a beer comes 
comes to be what it is is a is an r- important part of understanding mm-hmm. why you're doing what you're doing in the brewing process. Yeah, and I, I looked around a little bit. I could not find one Kentucky common being distributed around here. There was no brewery that survived Prohibition. So from the Civil War to Prohibition, this became the most popular beer around Louisville. Um, 75% of the market was dominated by small breweries producing this cucking common. After that, they were all gone. So there was no real kind of commercial examples left. And some new breweries have started making seasonal batches of Kentucky common. Um, I think we'll probably see a bunch once we get around the Kentucky Derby. Um, so if you're looking for an alternative to your big stout that you made or drinking mint julep on Kentucky Derby Day, Kentucky common be a very traditional example. Um, but I'm going to start right where they did. Six row and corn. Almost like if you were making a Coors clone. So five pounds of six row, two to three pounds of corn, depending on my efficiency. You're not shooting for a very high gravity here. They were only about 44 to 55 points. And so they only came out around four to four and a half percent alcohol. Um, I'm going to add some dark malts to this. I'm going to go for a little bit of like German or Danish like aroma malt. Um, this is a very dark crystal. Uh, probably a little biscuit malt because as I go back and I look at the BJCP guidelines, it talks about, you know, bread crust and biscuit. Um, and so I'm going to use a little bit of biscuit malt in there. This is kind of like if you're making a beer for competition, the kind of no dummy, you know, like mm-hmm. the answer to how to make your beer. Go look at the guidelines, read what the flavor indicators are, pick your malts that have the same descriptors as what you see in the guidelines. I'm only going to go about a quarter to a third of a pound of each of those. I'm probably going to add a little bit of carapils just to help keep a little bit of head retention. Uh, I'm going to do a protein rest. I'm going to uh, do a little bit of water treatment as well. So a little bit of gypsum and a little bit of calcium carbonate, probably a teaspoon of each to kind of mimic their water profile. Um, And then protein rest, 60-minute boil cluster to bitter, maybe a little bit of size to finish, and then right into that anchor steam beer yeast. Now, I'm kind of putting a note on my calendar for about a week and a half before the competition, giving myself a little bit more time than just seven days. But I am thinking about trying to brew this last minute because I have a bunch of other beers that I'm thinking about brewing, about brewing it about a week and a half before the competition deadline, and then quickly entering it and seeing how it does. And seeing how it is yeah I, I one of the reasons i went looking around to find one is because reading up about the kentucky common geez i wanted to drink one yeah and i could not find one anywhere um and again they're, they're supposed to be you know lower in alcohol light amber color a little bit of you know malt aroma but not really dominant and a little bit of hop um if they kind of read this like description it, you know yingling has a little bit more like roasty um, and fat tire has a little bit of, you know, Belgian-y notes to the uh, the yeast and a little bit of, you know, more kind of that uh, Vienna kind of toastiness. But it seems like it would have the same mouthfeel and the same kind of, we'll say, drinkability of those beers here. So it wasn't a big, you know, super hoppy. It wasn't super roasty. It was a very light, amber, you know, fresh, easy beer to drink. And so I'm going to try to do the seven days you know what I mean? Maybe seven days, but ten days, you know, mash to cask. Uh, I'm going to put aside a couple of bottles for competition. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting beer. I could not find one. 
like I said, I think it'll change a little bit when you get around to the Kentucky Derby, but then we'll be lucky if we get those beers, you know, from Louisville all the way over here. So, local breweries, if you're looking for a cast for Kentucky Derby weekend, this might be a good one. It's a good spot. Yeah. You're going to have to find some six row. Not as common as it used <laughs> yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, but it's out there. We got it. Kentucky, known for their commons. And also, like, I mean, obviously bourbon and whiskey, but like bourbon stouts, like Kentucky. I mean, you know, you put, yeah. you put Kentucky in the title of a beer. I feel you almost like feel like you need to be. The malt is going to be big and that yeah. you're going to have like oak aging and that it's going to be a little bit of burn in there. Not with this one. Yeah. This would be the good chaser. This would yeah. be a really good chaser. When it comes to, uh, just a real quick, get your opinion on this. Like, you know, some, some brewers like to, to barrel their stuff. Bourbon barrel, uh, rum barrel. You ever had beer aged in gin barrels? I have not. Um, it'd be interesting what style of beer you'd go with. I would yeah. actually point to like an IPA or English style IPA when I think of like, you know, Juniper. I think of like Grambling Cross. Maybe. Yeah, Saison would work pretty well. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a fan myself, but... I'm not even a fan of, the, of rum barrel age. Like maybe that's I've one had one of my favorites. Yeah, maybe that's I've one had of my the rum beers. The they do a, a rum uh, barrel scotch uh, ale. That's I think a really good example. And there there was a little bit of question about whether this beer was ever like was it served in you know what type of cask and could it have been wood aged. So you know you could potentially get some wood in there and squeak it through the competition. I don't know if it said it in the BJCP guidelines, but as you go start digging, you know what I mean, into articles about it, you start to see a little bit of controversy about that. Whether some of the breweries were doing sour mash. Um, so that might be an option too, if you're looking to make something just a little bit more interesting. Um, but the Kentucky common is a really interesting recipe. So we'll have to get into next week. Another, I don't know if we, how many new, um, styles we have, but at least another obscure style kind of leading up to the competition here. Um, and the Kentucky common, I think with an interesting one and one, like I said, I was kind of interested in brewing, especially with that kind of fast maturity and if you're looking to enter one in the competition which is coming you know march 31st is the diet line you got 50 days so you still have 43 days to procrastinate if you're trying to make Kentucky common all right that'll do it for us about out of time the 12th annual art of beer march 9th 2018 that's this year of course mm-hmm. uh 20 35 pre-sale 20 plus vendors over 75 menu items so get to the art of beer the AWOG deadline is March 31st. Yep, and hop rhizomes. Hop rhizomes. If you want to get hop rhizomes, start thinking about them now. When we had those warm spells, I was looking at mine. So it's going to come at you fast. Not to say you can't plan them in June, but you can also plan them in March, and it will be better off in March. All right. Till next time, we'll talk to you then here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.